The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. How much risk are you willing to take to spread the gospel? I just started serving our national church body on our Board for World Missions. So this is the group that organizes sending missionaries out into foreign fields. And to prepare for the last meeting, we read a book uh, called Facing Danger by a woman who served as a Christian missionary in Afghanistan. You want to talk about risk. You want to talk about facing danger. Here's a woman who was a missionary for Jesus under the Taliban during the years that were war-torn. Can you imagine the risk she had to face every day? You know, as a church body that sends out missionaries to foreign fields, we have a responsibility to try to assess what is the appropriate amount of risk that we're willing to take to spread the gospel. I mean, if we're going to ask you to send us your young men and women to be missionaries for Jesus, it's, it's responsible for us to ask, how much danger can our missionaries be in appropriately? You know, i got to say the whole World Mission Organization, they work really hard at this. They do a good job of making sure that they assess risk and manage risk. I mean, they use all sorts of resources. They get, they get governmental advice. They get risk assessments from companies who do exactly that. You know, they put together plans for their missionaries, even plans of extraction if necessary. They've got policies and procedures, all these things trying to control risk, mitigate risk. But you know, whether you're the person who's going out to the foreign field or someone like me who is sitting around a table talking about it, well, deep down you know that you can have as many policies and procedures as you want and something bad could still happen. You know, for that author in Afghanistan, if something bad happened, it was going to be the worst kind of thing. The kind of thing you don't even want to imagine. What if it happened? When Jesus heard what had happened, those are the first words of the gospel reading for today, and you could be excused if you kind of let your ears slide over them, because they're the introduction to what is this amazing miracle story of feeding 5,000 people. You could be forgiven for thinking those words didn't matter all that much, but, well, we'd be wrong. When Jesus heard what had happened, it turns out that those words provide the context for everything that happened next to the lake that day. And for the disciples, well, those words, they held a handful of horror. They did. When Jesus heard what had happened, what had happened was John the baptizer he was the, the, a relative of Jesus, actually. He was the forerunner, the one God said to point, to Israel, point Israel to the Messiah and say, this, this man Jesus of Nazareth, he's the Lamb of God, the one set apart by God to solve the world's problem of sin. The only prophet ever prophesied, John was that man. Now, John, a faithful missionary, he had run afoul of local government and was in prison. And then something happened. And it was the worst kind of thing. They cut his head off at the whim of a dancing teenage girl. 
They brought his head into a party on a platter. It was the worst kind of thing. Those words, when Jesus heard what had happened. Can you imagine what was going through the hearts of the disciples when they heard? I mean, remember, some of these disciples were actually followers of John the Baptist before they had ever met Jesus. All of the disciples saw the respect that Jesus gave to John, heard the words Jesus said about John. I mean, Jesus said about John that he was the greatest person ever born. Greatest person ever born. That his job was to prepare for Jesus. And if he's the greatest person ever born and he gets beheaded because some teenage girl wants it? Imagine what questions must have been in their minds if they weren't in their mouths. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, if you are who you say you are, how in the world could you let this happen to John, the greatest one born? If you are who you say you are, how can you possibly say this is part of the plan? And what does that mean for us? You talk about managing risk. This was the worst possible thing that could have happened. And I think any of us in their shoes would start to have our doubts about this man that we were following. This man who claimed to be the son of God, but yet the one he calls greatest born of women dies like that. So when Jesus heard what had happened, what did he do? Took his disciples to go to a solitary place all alone. They, they needed time to talk with their teacher. They needed time in prayer with their father. They needed time to learn that even in the dark days, even in the face of a tragedy like this, God will yet be glorified. You know, it's natural for us when we're faced with tragedy or hard days to have a lot of doubts. I mean, that's a, unfortunately, faith and doubt are kind of unfortunate companions of each other. That we believe what God says to us, but the sinful part of us always has doubts. We're like the man in the gospel who says, Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And when we're faced with tragedy, or we're faced with troubles, or we're faced with things that just don't seem to be getting better, it's easy to start doubting whether or not God really cares for you like he says he does. It's easy to doubt whether God really is going to provide for you like he says he does. Well, if you find yourself there, go away with Jesus. Go away with Jesus and spend some time with him in his word, because I tell you what, you're going to find answers to your questions. And these are questions Jesus is not afraid of. Just take them to the right place. Take your doubts and your questions to Jesus and you'll find answers. They might be not the answers that you would look for, but they will be the answers that are absolutely right for you. They will be an answer that teaches you to trust God, even in a place of deep adversity. For some of you, this story might be brand new. For others, you've maybe heard it so many times that you're tempted to lose a sense of awe at what these people witnessed. But maybe we try to recapture that just a moment. I mean, remember what had happened. Thousands of people streamed out of the towns and villages looking for Jesus, chasing after rumors of where he might be found. Jesus and the boys get out of the boat. Huge crowd there. Jesus, unsurprisingly, has compassion on them because he loves people like you and me. 
He heals their sick. He no doubt preaches to them. The day gets late. They're in the middle of nowhere. The disciples, ever practical men, said, Jesus, time to send them home. they got to go get some, something to eat. And then Jesus says something that sounds almost, well, almost impossible. He turned to the disciples and he said, no, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. There are times when Jesus asks us to do things that might seem impossible. Maybe he's asking you to be faithful, finally, in that part of your Christian walk that you haven't been. Maybe he's asking you to forgive somebody who honestly doesn't deserve to be forgiven at all. Maybe he's calling on you to trust in him, even though it seems like your world is falling down all around you. There are times that Jesus asks us to do things that seem impossible. You give them something to eat? (laughs) What did they do? They did what they could. I mean, at least we can say that for the disciples. They canvass the crowd. They find out what resources are on hand. And they come up with one little boy brought a lunch along, two small fish, five loaves. And they bring these back to Jesus and say, well, got some fish and loaves, but what good are these among so many? You know the rest of the story. Jesus prays and starts breaking bread and breaking fish and continues to break bread and break fish and give it to his disciples, and they carry out this food to the people until everyone had eaten. 5,000 men, maybe, what, another, maybe 5,000 more women, maybe like a basketball stadium worth of people fed from two small fish and five loaves. I mean, it's a miracle that had to have been It's just stupendous to think about. Imagine having witnessed it. I mean, this was a miracle so great that the people there had to have been awestruck because no one but God could do that. No one but God could do that. And that was exactly the point. Jesus was saying, Boys, I made heaven and earth. I'm the God who rules all things. My finger churns the seas and my breath rends the air. There is nothing in this world that is not underneath my complete control. Now trust me when I say that even in a place of darkness, even in a place of deep adversity, I care for you. You know, Jesus knew what it was like to face the dark days. Because remember, we, we don't just have a God who sits in heaven and is sovereign. We have a God who took on flesh and descended down into our darkness and came to sit in the broken shards of this sin-struck world with us. So now to these disciples who are struggling with doubt, Jesus shows them that even in your dark days, he rules, God is glorified, and he will not stop caring about you. Now, boys, go get the leftovers. Isn't it great that Jesus made leftovers? You ever think about that? Why did Jesus make extra? Right? He didn't have to. If he, I mean, if he can do what he did, he certainly didn't need to make extra. But I think two things. Um, first of all, he made extra because he was showing us what life is like in the Messiah's kingdom. And the Messiah's kingdom is not a kingdom of just enough. The Messiah's kingdom, our cup overflows. And secondly, yeah, why do you make leftovers? Isn't it interesting what he did? It, it's not like Jesus overestimated on his multiplication. He didn't underestimate on consumption and think, well, maybe they walked a long way, maybe they'll eat more. He didn't account 10% for breakage and spoilage. That's not the way this was working. What was left? What was left? 
12 basketfuls, exactly. Because Jesus had exactly 12 disciples who needed their doubts answered. And so each one of them walked away from that place carrying a basket full of proof. Right here. They had to carry it with them. Why did I doubt? Maybe the other question that I always have, too, is why did Jesus even bother with the two fish and the five loaves? I mean, why, why even? If he had to make, what, a couple of semis worth of food? Why even start with the two fish? I mean, if this is a God who can create something out of nothing, right? If he can make a star by saying, let there be light, why would he even bother with the two fish and the five loaves? Well, again, he's teaching us something about the Messiah's kingdom. In the Messiah's kingdom, things work a little differently. It goes back to when he said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. Did they? Well, they sure did. They fed every last single one of them, those disciples did, when they took that bread and fish from the hand of Jesus. You know, the little boy, could he have gone home that night and said, hey, you know what? My lunch fed 5,000 people. Yes, of course he could. Not because his lunch was so great, but because Christ used it to do great things. Here's a truth about life in Messiah's kingdom. He invites us to be part of something we should have no part of, and he promises to use us to effects that we should have no ability to create. Jesus offers us the greatest privilege this side of heaven, which is to be part of his ministry of feeding his people with the bread of life. I mean, think about this. Jesus doesn't need me. Jesus doesn't need you. I mean, you could never tell a person about Jesus for the rest of your life. You could never give another offering. You could never say another prayer. You could never do another good work for the rest of your life. And you know what? God's kingdom's still going to come. His kingdom is still going to come. He doesn't need you and me. But yet he gives us this amazing privilege that he invites you and me to be part of his mission of calling the elect to faith through the gospel. What an amazing thing. He didn't need his disciples any more than he needed those two fish and five loaves. But he gave that little boy and he gave those 12 men the unbelievable privilege of being able to say, today I helped feed 5,000 people. And he does the same thing with you and me. He invites you and me to be part of his kingdom work of sharing the bread of life with a world that needs to hear it. And he promises whether you're bringing an offering or your talents or your hours or your prayers, Jesus says you're privileged to get to do that. Sometimes, like the disciples, we might doubt. We might look at what we're bringing. We might look at what we have to offer and see two small fish, see five loaves, <laughs> and... uh when Jesus asks, what do we got? Only a couple of loaves and fish, but what, what good are these among so many? Too often we have a, the same perspective as the disciples who saw what was lacking, who saw what was limiting, rather than what could happen in Jesus' hands, which was potential and possibility and, and, and miracle. You know, today we install Vicar Daniel Wessel, and uh, Vicar, if you are anything like me, you will spend a lot of time looking in the mirror and seeing what you lack. 
You'll look in the mirror and not see strengths for ministry, but you'll see all the weaknesses. You'll see all the, the shortcomings and the sin, and you'll be tempted to see nothing but two small loaves or two small fish and a few loaves. And you'll be tempted to look out at this group of people God's gathered for us and say, what, what are these among so many? We'll go away and spend some time with Jesus. And you're going to get some amazing answers. See, there's a reason that we wear these robes when we're in the chancel here. There's a reason they call me pastor and they're going to call you vicar, not Daniel. It's for the same reason. These robes, those titles, they're meant to hide you and me. This robe is meant to hide me, John Schrader. It's meant to hide you, Daniel Wessel, because you know what? These people aren't coming here to see you. They're not coming here to see me. But they are definitely coming here for what Jesus has given us to give them. So what we get to do is share the bread of life with people who are so happy to have it. You know, and it's... uh, it's true that you and I and everyone in here when we're talking about ministry, there's, we can look at what we lack. And it's true that we've got nothing to offer to Jesus but some fish and loaves. But, uh, and it's true for you and me. What, what good are these among so many? In our hands, none whatsoever. But in the hands of our Savior, they can feed a multitude. That's why he said, bring them here to me. You know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different accounts that, from four different perspectives about Jesus' life and ministry. Only this miracle is recorded in all four Gospels. The miracle that Jesus performed for his disciples who were doubting about trusting God in places of deep adversity. The miracle that proclaimed the truth about life with the Messiah. And that truth is this. There is no place so remote. There is no crowd too big, no lunch too small, no hour too late for God to make your cup overflow. So grab your loaves. Go get your fish. Bring them here to me. And we will each leave carrying a basket full of proof. God grant it among us. Amen. Amen.